On this episode, I'm speaking with John Gonzalez, VP of Marketing at iTex. Drawing from a wealth of experience in the multifamily industry and with a focus really centered around customer experience and branding, John's played a key role in driving growth and success for companies like Camden Property Trust and Lido in previous years. His current position at iTex allows him to continue his passion for learning about AI and the content creator economy while driving marketing strategies that drive results. Now, one of the most interesting things about John is his personal experience on the content creator side. John has a TikTok following of over 300,000 people. He has a very unique channel and a very unique perspective on marketing, content creation, and video education as we look ahead to the coming years in multifamily. So without further ado, let's jump in. And this is my conversation with John Gonzalez of iTex. It is a pleasure to have you. Thanks for joining me today. Thank you. Pleasure to be on. So one of the things that I love to start with on these is learning a little bit more about your background and, you know, really literally where you came from. Um, there is something about where you grew up that had a bit of a funny smell um, to the locals um, that over time, it was just kind of the common smell in the air. And I would love it. We could start by hearing that story and, and telling the listeners what that was all about. That's that's a one of the most historic introductions. Let's talk about the funny smells of, of your childhood. Hey, I'm just trying to tee it up right for you. Yeah. Well, uh, I grew up in Pasadena, Texas. And for those that aren't familiar with it, um, big refinery town, um, welders, pipefitters, um, it does have an odor about it. Um, I mean, I didn't coin this phrase. I do know some people who have mentioned it uh, as stinkadina. But, uh, you know, mm. you grow up in it, you don't notice it. Um, but yeah, that, that's the, the town I grew up in uh, for most of my childhood. The refinery and, fumes, as they, as they say. And so you're growing up in the refinery fumes town. Um, mm -hmm. What was your family like? Do you have any brothers or sisters? Yeah, um, I mean, I'm the oldest. So I grew up without them for a long time. And then maybe as I was in um, a little bit more into elementary, like second and third grade, uh, sister, but in total, I have two sisters and one brother, uh, me being cool. the oldest. Cool. And um, this was outside of Houston. Um, and I'm curious because some of the guests that come on the show have a very city specific background, like they go into the city all the time, they, they check out kind of the, the metro vibe, if you will. And then other guests are very much farm focused, just kind of grew up in the suburbs or something like that. Did you find yourself going into the city much as a kid or, or with the family as a kid? Not that often. Like occasionally we would do the Galleria a few times a year. We would um, go out and about shopping, but mostly we stayed in the suburbs, like not, not a ton. You know, we would travel, visit family around coastal areas or South Texas, uh, but that's about it. Not, not a ton of visiting inside the city. Okay. And you grew up in a Mexican American family, which meant lots of great family time, lots, lots of good times growing up together as a group. Um, but that didn't necessarily mean that you didn't have your own passions. And this is something that we had a chance to connect on um, a few times before we hopped on the call here. Um, can you explain to me how the act of gaming actually became a really huge part of your life as a kid growing up? Yeah. So as we talked about it before, um, growing up in Pasadena, one of the most common pastimes for me was going to the movies. 
99 cent movie theater, um, sometimes every weekend. But uh, one of the things that was in the movie theater was a little arcade machine for, for Galaga. And uh, one of the interactions I had with somebody playing Galaga was they somehow hacked it or found a cheat code. And so they were able to play the uh, all the way up to, I don't know, level 100 without having the enemies fire at them, which is so shocking to me um, how you can, I guess, one up the game or, or know more about the game that, than the, anybody else could. So, um, you know, started playing that game, repeated that little hack code, and then started playing fighting games just because it seems to be where more people were playing er around that time. You know, people were transferring from one player shooting games and then to, to exploring into the fighting game scene in that time. But mm. uh, that's how I, I kind of got into it. It was just part of the culture of going to the movies. And then every movie theater seemed to have some type of gaming element to it at the time. Yeah. And this might date me. I'm not sure if it's going to date you or not, but I remember those days as being like, you go to the movies with your friends, you kind of like maybe sneak in a candy bar or two. Um, but then generally speaking, you're literally going out to like a blockbuster to rent movies and to rent games and to, to then bring those back home. Sometimes the tapes would be rewound and sometimes they wouldn't, you know, that whole thing. Um, did you find yourself like going to stores like that and renting games? Were you like playing with your friends or like, how did you kind of like, uh, pun intended, continue to like level up the, the gamesmanship of your experiences? Yeah, the uh, the Nintendo 64 and Blockbuster completely changed the game. It made like the the weekend nightlife completely different, where you could kind of like game hard for hours on end. But the only downside was, um, I mean, the amount of games they had then is so small compared to what's out there in the market now, where you have indie gamers and just like exploration or expansion packs. Like back then, it was like. You got what you got, and if you didn't like it, too bad. Uh, and some of the games were pretty bad. Uh, I mean, they were they were pretty block fighter heavy, or just mm -hmm. could have been just like a money grab game uh, where it just <laughs> had like a, a famous character and a yeah. and a poor storyline. So there's a lot more thought that goes into the games now. But back then, uh, you we, we definitely took advantage of a lot of the the weekend blockbuster games. Well, we're going to come back to that towards the end of the conversation because I want to get your your quick hot takes on like the best games now for adults or for ex-gamers that are now adults with families and, and so on. But let's continue this journey of your upbringing and kind of get us to high school and college. Um, after high school, um, I'm curious, did you end up sticking around the same area? Did you move across the country? Did you go to school? Did you jump right into the professional world? What was that sort of part of your journey like? Yeah, so for me, I went pretty much immediately into college. I went to the Art Institute of Phoenix in Phoenix, Arizona. I probably had about a month downtime of, of a summer after my senior year before I just drove to Phoenix, um, lived with family there, and then um, did three years of college and got my bachelor's. Nice. That's I have a similar-ish story where I, uh, I went to school um, in Virginia, I, after school, I had a job offer and literally one week later, less than a week later, I was in the car driving from Virginia out to Colorado where I kind of started the next chapter of my life. So I understand that feeling of, of having no summer and getting right to it. So that's really cool yeah. to hear. Um, I think you 
actually graduated in or around 2008, if I can recall correctly, just in referencing my notes. But um, obviously you were out in the professional world at that time and you were in a, in a terrible climate for finding a, a job, for starting a career. Like what a, what, what a perfect piece of timing that was in your, in your, in your journey so far. So I'm curious, I mean, you went to school for, uh, you went to school at the art Institute. You were very interested in just sort of like, I think you said becoming a business person and yeah. carry, carrying a briefcase and like kind of being a professional. Um, mm-hmm. how did you find that? in 2008 or the 2008 era as you entered into the professional world? Yeah, I mean, for for me, it was just fun, college, getting around and being in the the school. Um, You're exposed to people who are learning about gaming development, um, graphics and animation and design, coding. Um, And there was even some gaming culture. So it was like a fun community. But you really uh, leaving college in 2008 was a shock because I really wasn't familiar with like the political climate or what it even meant to have a, a recession or what the job market was going to look like. I just knew that after college, going to my first career fair, um, I was thinking, OK, this is going to be fun, dress nice, have a good portfolio, which, you know, I had all those things um, and then just so happens that the career fair is going to be at a football stadium shows up. I show up to the football stadium and the line for the career fair is wrapping around the entire uh, Arizona Cardinals football stadium. So that's kind of when I had like my first, like this, this is going to be a while before things get normal again, but I have a bachelor's degree, but you know, at that time, um, I mean, you, you hear it often, like everybody was asking for uh, a degree plus three years of experience. And like at the time, everybody was just trying to get in the door somewhere. Right. Okay. So then what next? I mean, it obviously like today, 2023, where, you know, this idea of the gig economy and kind of freelance and, and doing things on the side was, or is, you know, no one, no one bats an eye, but from my understanding, you actually ended up kind of going into that world and taking on gig jobs and figuring it out. What were some of those early jobs that you took on to make ends meet as you were kind of figuring out the the world that was 2008 at the time. Yeah. So at the time, everybody was looking to cut costs or make advantage advancements in social media. And so what my kind of short term gig at the at that I was developing was WordPress websites, helping people migrate from an existing platform to a WordPress one. A lot of things were built off themes at the time. And then also companies were looking to ways to best leverage social media facebook was huge um on like people were trying to explore how to grow their own business um through facebook mm-hmm. or search engine optimization um i mean back then there was there was probably a lot a lot less restrictions on how you could like backlink to websites so people were like getting high rankings on their domains through what i guess gray hat measures and so WordPress design, social media marketing, and helping people um, improve like their small businesses through like more self um, self managed uh, websites. Yeah, and this was back in the day because I had some conversations, or I've had conversations recently with a few other marketers who come from the era of the the early to mid two thousands, like yourself, and 
I mean, these were the days where you could write HTML code into Craigslist ads for basically whatever you wanted to. And so obviously the wild west of the internet days are a little bit behind us now, but it's really fascinating to hear that you came from these days of like early WordPress, you know, Craigslist, you know, kind of cutting your teeth in, in what we now think of as very old school internet, but it's, it's neat to hear that you came from that. Yeah. Like the, the, the benefit definitely uh, that I got from it was like sharpening my design skills in illustrator um, and improving Photoshop skills, uh, but also coding, like some coding improvements. Like I, I wouldn't have thought to explore HTML or CSS enhancements on, on websites until I realized that you kind of have to on sometimes mm. when you're trying to make specific customizations on sites. Mm. So, okay. So you were, you had moved, you were, you had gone to college, you're out of college. You kind of have a, Oh no moment because what am I going to do? You're jumping into some gigs. Um, did you end up staying in the area or did you move back to the Houston for, you know, other opportunities? Like what, what happened next? Um, because now we're kind of 2010 ish and, and we're not even at, at the real estate phase yet. So what, what was the next step for you? Yeah. Um, I, tr you know, I tried my best to, to find something, uh, dependable in the market or at least more consistent gigs. But for me, I decided to go back to Houston. And so most of my family was there. So that's where it made the most sense. And it seemed like the job market was improving in that area of town just because of the, the oil economy. So I moved back around 2000, let's see, 2000, I, I think you said maybe 2011 or 12, if I recall. 2012 was when I started at Camden, but I know it was a few years before then that I was back doing something similar, but still back home. Okay. Yep. So, um, I stick around in Arizona for a few years and then I moved back to Houston and in Houston, similar working, looking for, uh, career opportunities. And it wasn't until 2012 where, uh, I landed my first job in what would be considered like multifamily. Thanks for listening to this episode of transforming cities brought to you by authentic authentic delivers premier multifamily brand experiences and smart digital marketing. Our proven approach aims to accelerate leasing velocity boost rental rates and increase long-term value. Simply put, we see brand as a business asset. You can find out more at authenticff.com. Mm. How was that? So uh, it's always fascinating to talk with people about their first introduction into real estate because a few folks kind of like, maybe they start as a, as a manager at a community or they work on a leasing team, but others like yourself just sort of find themselves you know, splat in the middle of it. I mean, then there's a whole language and kind of a ecosystem and kind of a, a rhyme and a reason to, to it all. How was that position for you just getting started? Kind of what drew you to that and, and how, how was it getting to know the real estate industry at first? Yeah, it was very, uh, it was very much a shock to, to learn like the, the lingo because multifamily has its own lingo of what to say, what not to say the most common phrases for, for hooks, headings or sub captions. Um, so getting started at Camden Property Trust, I was a marketing production coordinator, a lot of more graphic intensive. Um, the position was probably more graphic intensive. So working a lot more in Illustrator and InDesign and occasionally mm -hmm. Premiere Pro whenever they're doing like some specific video promotions. Um, I would say it was 
a, a lot to learn because I knew next to nothing about the real estate industry. So I asked a lot of questions about why we do this. Why is it? Why does this happen that way? Um, but but learning that you know there's different customer types. Um, you know the sometimes there's different uh, development types, and you you learn more about the lease up process, like starting the creating the landing page for a development where we might not see a first move in until you know a year down the road. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So there you are really diving into real estate. You're kind of getting your feet wet for, I think it was a couple years at Camden and you make a pivot and this is right around 2014, I want to say. Yeah. And yeah, that pivot was actually into the cabinetry world, which I think a lot of listeners or viewers are probably smiling and, and or scratching their heads. Like, why did he go from real estate to cabinets? Um, but as we've discussed previously, there was a very specific reason for it. And I actually thought it was really insightful the way that you had a, a look at another side of the industry. So tell us what that experience was like, what that company was uh, that you transitioned into and what your role was there. Yeah. So, um, in 2014, I took a job offer as a marketing manager for Lido uh, manufacturing or also known as Lido cabinetry. They're on the multifamily side as a supplier for essentially cabinet boxes. You know, they're one of the few companies that could produce the large amount of cabinets required to completely uh, supply an apartment complex. And it's it was a different it was a different customer type. And now you're dealing with mm. um, architects, owners, owners of some of the like biggest real estate companies. And, you know, things that are very important to them are trends, quality, style. Um, and so I'm helping salespeople or I'm helping the company create lookbooks. You know, I'm learning about styles in Germany. Okay, well, apparently these gloss styles are very popular. Um, looking at the manufacturing side, because I've never been in a manufacturing facility before. Then I hear about Kaizen, process engineering. Um, what is it? Um, that term uh, where you reduce cost. Well, uh, there's a lot of uh, factors I went into like learning things that I didn't know about before in, in the, like, yeah. the manufacturing side, but it's beneficial and it's pro it's, it's principles that could be applied to other aspects besides of manufacturing. Yeah. I remember you telling me that you were, you know, you're kind of putting together like spec books. Obviously you said you were kind of working with sales, assist assisting with uh, literal sales. Um, who are some of the customers that you would work with? Like from a, for our multifamily listeners or for the kind of the owner operators out there, like who were, um, were you working with the likes of a Camden or would it, was it different types of groups out there? Yeah, it would, it would either be um, representatives of owners like Camden, Bazudos, Graystars. Um, so it would either be somebody with their companies that would maybe be representatives from their interior design side or owner reps, which sometimes could be uh, a, a big time architect that would represent the company in the complete art, uh, spec of the, what the product would look like for the property. So um, that's usually what the customer would, would be, it would be either an owner or an owner rep. And sometimes it would typically start with an architect. Cool. Yeah, that's really cool. And so when you're putting together these, 
these packages, these, these books for your clients at the time, were you the one who was literally like coming up with the, the, the layouts and the styles for what that looked like and, and being a part of that presentation or were you a little less hands-on with that end of it and more so just focused on the creative aspects of getting together the, the material to have that presentation? A little bit of both. So um, while I was there, I did become a product manager over uh, the, the, the company on the marketing side still. So I worked under engineering um, as a marketing product manager, now facilitating this spec book. And so working with engineers, getting what well, guess what I would call like our product SKUs. And then with our product SKUs, you create the product book. And so um, within like getting one frame, I would you know put in the dimensions and then the rest was just creative liberty. That's really cool. And I bet that goes a long way with understanding the greater landscape that is multifamily real estate, because you understand now, you know, a little bit more on the development side, as well as what actually goes into creating the finishes at these properties. That's really, that's really fascinating. Yeah. I want to take this opportunity. Oh, go ahead. I was going to say, I also learned that, um, like mistakes are also, uh, sometimes at a, at a much more exponential when, when it comes to uh, sometimes being on this side of the customer, mm. because one wrong keystroke could potentially, you know, not p- many people look at the inside of a cabinet or care to look at the inside of a cabinet. But if you're an owner architect or an owner rep, you know, you're going to see, you know, I ordered natural or I ordered white or I ordered wood grain interior inside these cabinets. Like one wrong keystroke could mean like having to reorder. Oh, uh, or redo, but yeah, it's, it's, it, they're different measures of, of error on that side too. Now, now I, I feel like I need to go check out my cabinets and like understand the specs of my, of my box. Oh my gosh. To... I, I, I don't look at cabinets <laughs> the same. Uh, like if there's a soft close, I'm like, Ooh, that's a bloom soft close hinge. Oh Very yeah. Nice. nice. Yeah. Okay. Okay. I like that. Um, well, let's talk a little bit about your transition um, after Lido into the company that you're with today, iTex. That began around 2016, and I'm excited to get to this part of the conversation because I want to hear more about your thought process and your thinking around marketing. Um, there's a lot to get into there, and there's like a fun, I'll, I'll call it a sidecar to your professional marketing as well that we're going to get to. but. But first, let's um, let's talk about how you actually ended up at ITEX. What was that transition like, um, and what did you come on? What was the role that you came on as? Yeah, so in 2016, I applied and was offered the position of a marketing director, similar to what I had at Camden, but with a lot higher degree of oversight. Um, obviously, they have a different size portfolio. So for this one, it was managing their website, website design, getting them on board to an online payment system. So for us, it was um, Rent Cafe, which kind of serves as our marketing suite for our market portfolio. Yeah, and as far as onboarding, I think one of the things that you had mentioned to me early on in our conversations was the connection that you had with the owner of iTex, Chris. Mm-hmm. And um, one of the things that he wanted to push from the get-go was, social media, marketing from a social media perspective and how you could actually infuse that into the sort of typical multifamily experience. Um, How how did that start to blossom for you with your role at at iTex? Yeah, so um, 
Chris was part of the interview process. He interviewed me, and it it was uh, great to talk to somebody who actually asked those questions about um, concepts, you know, execution types on where I would where I sat on like social media planning, and so it was great to see about how reputation, social media management was like a core uh, asset mm -hmm. to the company, and so uh, it was an important, you know, jumping off point to see that as we build up this branding and this company that there's going to be a lot of positive messaging around, I think at the time it was probably like 45 properties or 40 properties. Mm. And so in those early, I'll, I'll call them early years, they weren't that long ago, but yeah. in the, in the first few years you were supporting the team at ITEX. Um, it sounds like you were doing a lot of um, branded proposals, you were supporting the team on their specific projects, um, website projects, um, a lot of digital stuff. And I think that you were, if I recall correctly, you were also, uh, you had a pretty heavy hand in some of the website changes for the ITEX corporate website as well. Mm -hmm. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah. So we, we went through a couple of website redesigns since I've been here, but one of the first projects was updating the website, uh, taking on some of the stuff that a previous ad agency had done. So taking over, updating it, creating new credentials. And then um, as I was also joining, I think they also were wrapping up construction on maybe one or two market rate properties. And so creating the marketing plan for those. Yeah. And so there's a there was a big difference between the work that you were doing at Camden and the work that you're doing at ITEX. And I think the the biggest one that you had mentioned to me was really around Camden being this, you know, kind of massive portfolio. There's a ton of stuff going on um, to transitioning into a group that was, you know, a much smaller firm, had a very diverse portfolio and also an emphasis on affordable housing, which I think was was probably new to you as well, just getting into it. So what what were kind of what was the breakdown of when you came into ITEX? What type of projects were you working on, and, and what did that mean for you and your role? Yeah, so the the type of projects involved um, understanding for me the the messaging of the affordable side because a lot of times people don't have the distinction or are familiar with the types of programs, and even me coming in, I wasn't familiar with what Section 8 meant, LIHTC, there are just tons of acronyms that you have to catch on quick to understand. But you do see that there is tons of demand for housing types, and you want to make sure that the right people get to the right program or know what questions to ask so that they don't accidentally, you know, miscommunicate like a, a possible qualification criteria. Mm. So um, updating our website to try to best reflect what the properties programs are um, and then setting up some obviously similar things, but for the market rate side. Yeah. This kind of starts to get into one of the areas that you're really passionate about. Um, and I don't know that a lot of people know this about you, but I, I thought it was a really, um, cool in, you know, very, in a way, honorable passion. And that is educating these potential renters on what it is that they're applying for. And if we, if we could kind of break this down a little bit, if you could help walk us through this, let's start with the renter itself. Um, you know, he, she, family, whatever they, whatever you want to, however you want to kind of think about this group of people, 
there's a need to educate them. And then there's a, there's really kind of a few differences between that potential renter and like a luxury or class a renter. How do you, how, how must you think about that, um, prospect as they come into the ITEX fold a little bit differently than you might with a different kind of property? Yeah. So, um, historically what has happened is a lot of the communication to the renter types have just been like text on a web page. And sometimes it's even text on a web chat, like sometimes two or three paragraphs with eight bullet points of all the income restrictions. It's lingo that sometimes residents or prospects aren't familiar with. Yeah. And so we sometimes have to start from square, uh, square one, helping them understand like what, the pro programs are for uh, what are the project programs and then what are the property requirements and sometimes clarifying those two can help a household determine whether or not they may qualify and i think text just gets skimmed and can get confusing because of the industry lingo uh, because affordable what that means to me may not mean the same thing to you and so you might have people who are over income and still try to apply the value they're flooding um, the inbox of a, of a manager who's trying to uh, do their best to get the correct or the, the most qualified renters into the units. Yeah. And this really brings forward your thoughts around chatbots. So let's, mm -hmm. let's like park it there for a second. And I'd love to hear your, your take on chatbots and how they can actually um, support a potential renter in this exact scenario. How do you think about that? Yeah, so uh, there are uh, there's some logic in in what a prospective renter can self qualify for to to a certain extent. I think chatbots can help guide, um, and as long as they're media rich, like I, I feel like sometimes a lot of it tends tends to be more um, text heavy, which then you run into that issue because not everybody's going to have the same proficiency or understanding, and so including forms of maybe like a self-qualifying calculator where you know everybody can understand like this is what i make in a week or two weeks having a video that explains the income ranges based on a household profile like how many people are in your home if somebody's a student how that might affect your qualification or if you're already a recipient on some type of um, program so there's some variables that I think text could get very heavy, but logic mapping or having like some system where you can prompt households or renters as they shop, like, okay, like this is me, this is how much I make. And you know, this is roughly like my household type. Then they could kind of get guided, like maybe through a video or through an explainer that uh, document that kind of breaks down the things that they need to apply. So when we're thinking about leveraging video and mm -hmm. using it for educational purposes, where does that fit in with the multifamily industry moving forward? Because I think we're, we're starting to see some of that type of stuff show up with, you know, different prop tech companies, but I know that you have yeah. some specific thoughts about it and I'd love to, to hear you. Yeah. Well, some, in some ways it humanizes your content, like things where you're, property doesn't really have a persona, a personality, a representative, and there's really sometimes not a need for, but it does help engage where you 
are now focused on providing value to the renter um, or prospect, right? Because you're no longer just somebody who's saying one bedroom floor plans, you know, rent for 700 or 900. You're like, before you apply, these are some great three things that you may need to have before you show up to the property. And these are, this is also something that you could repurpose on your other social media channels because you could turn this into a blog post or just a general video about being a renter in a specific city or market. And so it's a different way of thinking about providing value. You, you know, think of um, right now it's being accurate on details about rents, but maybe it could be important um, prep or details before moving in. Like we, we've seen blogs about like right. move in tips, but now we could probably focus more on like before you move in, these are some great things to consider. Um, and it could be maybe about providing value about budgets. Like what would be an ideal budget range if you're looking to shop for this bedroom type or that bedroom type, or things that could be more accessible if you extend lease terms or concessions, explaining right. what concessions are. Yeah. But doing so in a way that is engaging, that leverages video. And as you said, it's not like a eight, eight line bulleted list of stuff that no one's going to read. Right. Yeah. And, and there's tools now where you could even make it a lot more personable. Um, like, you know, I think there's going to be a shift in like the quality of the, the quality and quantity of content that gets published over the next several years. Like it's, really been polished a big shift for 4k because of youtube but i've seen tools now where you could just shoot something on your phone and send it to a specific renter and you could personalize it with your property or, or mm. uh, the person's information yeah. uh, the 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 benefit to to them is they feel a lot more seen like well instead of writing an email i i, I could just listen to the audio i don't have to to read everything through it or i could watch it you know, then now you're focused on maybe sometimes providing a hook and humor because you it's much more difficult to communicate humor and personality in just a, a dry text email. Yeah. Let me let me throw this curveball at you. This isn't something that we necessarily prepped for, but it's definitely been in the headlines in recent mm -hmm. weeks. And that is um, that is the that is AI and the release of the, the, the chat platform with, um, uh, is it open AI? And, yeah. you know, we've, I know that we've both had a chance to play around with it. Do you see, and sorry to put you on the spot, but you, one of those, sorry, I'm not sorry. Is cause I'm, I'm really genu genuinely curious to hear sure. your thoughts on this, but, um, do you see that there being a place for that in any, any part of the ecosystem that you're thinking through for this kind of multifamily solution? Um, some of it would probably be short term. Like there's a, I believe a phrase called a reverse prompt engineering that helps pre prompt your chat with some conditions and parameters. Mm -hmm. And so, um, I've been playing around with it, like scenario building, like you can create scenarios for your staff to, to plan and play, to see how they might interact with specific household types or scenarios or angry residents. So um, you can also build content with it, but I think content building with AI is just gonna be like, to get you 80% of the way there, there does have to be some human element yeah. to it, especially with the way Google might be 
auditing for AI content in the future or AI video in the future. So um, that's that's one way um, internally. Like I've we've we've toyed around with um, to create games. So like prompt engineering, like an ABC game for specific for property management to see how they'd handle scenarios, and even affordable housing. Like can can we re- prompt engineer something to at least help a house uh, determine whether or not it qualify? I mean, but I think most of the AI tools are going to be the, from what I've understood, that the prompt engineering might be a short term because eventually, as we get more advanced, we'd be able to answer the some stuff that, the stuff that we're trying to, to pre-prompt it or to educate it with. Mm. Super interesting topic, um, I have mm-hmm. to say, and I feel like that could be a whole different podcast entirely, and I'm sure there's a bunch of podcasts being recorded right now about that topic. Yeah, it's revolutionizing. I think over the past few months, I've tried to, I mean, I spent most of Christmas, I mean, besides with family, like on late nights, just pushing what I could create with it. Um, formulas on Excel, uh, coding, and it, it is like going to be a new Google in some ways. Mm-hmm. Now, I've seen in how people are injecting the chat into search tools. And so instead of asking Google, like top places to rent in specific city, you might be asking a chatbot best places to rent in a specific city. Now, what we don't know is what weight the chat is going to give to specific properties in the future. Right. Because we know what Google's ranking is. Sometimes, you know, they focus on the three pack, um, you know, content dynamics and like the the page ranking. Um, but if, you know, the chatbot relies on the same things and we'll see something similar. Yeah. Yeah. Super fascinating stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, let's pivot into a passion of yours, which is social media and specifically TikTok, um, both at the corporate level and on the personal side, let's put a pin in the personal side for the moment, but you're somewhat of a local legend on the platform already. I think one of the earlier, um, videos that I came across of yours was just in the office, in the iTech's office there with, um, with a fellow coworker that was, it was just like a funny thing that caught my eye. And I think it gained some popularity. Um, how did that thinking, like how did John get from, um, you know, X gamer to like, Hey, you know what, at my corporate job, leveraging TikTok is going to be the move. And here's why, like, what, what were the steps that got you there? Yeah. Um, so for, us we, as a company, we want to be able to share like what we do, like you know, day in the life of John, or find what other ways to communicate our culture, um, our employees. And so often, sometimes I'm in the office asking people, "Hey, you want to jump in on a video? I got a funny skit idea. Let's. What do you think about this?" And if they say no, I'm like, "Okay, well, what if I reduce your lines to these four? It'll be super <laughs> easy." And so I could be sometimes convincing. It is one of the elements that I feel like will help us improve with people on the outside seeing our employee culture because highly collaborative environment, like I could walk down the hall and talk to somebody in development, asset management, um, CEO, CFO, legal, um, very tight knit, but still like we all like to engage with each other. Um, Like it is maybe not so bureaucratic and we, you know, like to have fun like we we like to we, we dress business casual or what do they call it smart casual and mm-hmm. so like for people who are looking for a place to work 
in the multifamily industry, they want to find a company that speaks to them in values and mission and maybe in corporate culture. And so highlighting some of that stuff through, you know, humor and video is is one of the elements that we wanted to to utilize. And one of the less obvious aspects of that <clears throat> approach that I, you know, never really thought about it until you said something to me to this effect, but it's not like the polished 4K videos. It's like on your phone, kind of just like, you know, low production value, but it's like more relatable in that way in this, in, in the way that, you know, super polished videos aren't necessarily going to be relatable when it comes to extending company culture to potential future employees. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, authenticity is important to, you know, communicating to customers, but also communicating what your brand and company is all about. Um, and so, uh, I think there's a time and a place for extremely polished media, um, you know, the 4K, uh, but but we've seen those results in the past and how they, they resonate with people. Like I, I've seen other companies invest tons of money into production and, you know, YouTube views are, are public, you know, and there are people who just post to get ready with me that, that get millions of views. And so production quality doesn't always correspond with yeah. with viewership or engagement. And oftentimes it doesn't, I would say. Um, yeah. I mean, there are certainly the cases where it does, but I think more and more we're seeing, I mean, even some of my favorite YouTube channels are, um, and you see it in mirrors or reflections. It's literally just someone that has a selfie stick with their iPhone and they're making videos that are getting, you know, easily quarter million views every single video. And it doesn't need to be this, you know, everything's thrown into Premiere Pro and we have, you know, super fancy cameras everywhere and all these cuts. It's, um, it's a really interesting time for that. Yeah. And those content creators are like, as the more they do that, the more they resonate that authentic message, they become more relatable and they build a community. And that's really what we want to do. Like we manage communities, but we also want to build our own. We want to build our own culture and make sure that everybody understands like who iTex is. This is our team. You know, this is the way we, we carry ourselves and, uh, want to yeah. represent ourselves. You, you sent over a few notes to me before we, uh, hopped on the recording here and I, and I want to just reference them briefly because I think mm -hmm. it's a, I think it's an important topic that isn't often discussed in a public forum. And that is, you know, the thinking around the, the uses usage of TikTok. And one of the things that you said is, you know, you're excited to explore the challenges and best practices for using TikTok specific, specifically for property management by building community and addressing negative feedback and some of the other sort of things that come with managing properties. Um, how far along are you at ITEX in that journey? And what do you feel like the next steps are going to be to kind of push that envelope even further? It is very early on and most of the messaging has been internally and I could share even some videos and I might even post it on LinkedIn, but uh, we're utilizing TikTok and like the video platform itself to create internal training videos, like mm. how to conduct interviews, pros and cons, what to do and what not to do. And it is like silly stuff, but like you can get a two minute training and understand the concept of like appropriate best practices for conducting an employee interview. And it is skits. Like it is just me yeah. talking to myself as a skit 
with like a green screen background. I, I don't have like, I mean, I do yeah. have a nice camera, but I just use my camera phone. Um, other stuff is the affordable housing industry. We're using TikToks to create content for affordable housing. We have a TikTok for something called the LIHTC student role, you know. Otherwise, if you were to find or look up information about the low-income housing student rule, um, you might find like a five-minute video on who this might apply to. Um, I, I bowled it down to 45 seconds with a hook, and it's it's on our uh, link tree for for our company for, uh, for our company page. So it's one of the ways that we're utilizing internally. Uh, going forward, I think some plans are doing some skits to kind of help put some scenarios from the for the perspective of renters on like whether or not they may qualify for for an apartment like scenarios based off program type so skits are very popular um, on TikTok itself and they do help keep people engaged because of like the no one really knows what to expect next on that scenario and it's less um it feels like it's less commercial and it seems to do well on the platform itself yeah no that's I mean, it makes perfect sense, and I love I love to hear because uh, I've seen TikTok being leveraged on the broker side, but not necessarily with a group like Itex. And I think the way that you're thinking about it is pretty brilliant, actually. And I mean, as we transition here into that personal side, that like your personal TikTok account, uh, because I think that's a really great um, example of how you leverage it too. There's just seems like there are endless opportunities for using the platform to educate share knowledge while also keeping people engaged in a way that getting a text or reading a you know frequently asked question is never going to do for especially the the younger audiences coming up uh, looking for housing um let's uh i want i want to shine a light on your mm -hmm. personal TikTok because uh, i'm certain that many of the listeners here do not know the fame that you have found on TikTok and under which <laughs> under the the banner of which genre that is. And um, it's been a pleasure to dive into some of those videos, which by the way, we mm -hmm. will have some show notes um, here and we'll link to a few of your, your TikToks on the corporate side, but then also on the more kind of playful personal side. But, but tell the, if you could tell the audience um, and the listeners what your personal TikTok is all about. And, and I'm curious too, like how you actually found that, that niche, how did that come about? Yeah, so uh, I have my own personal TikTok account. It's John GNZZ. And what it is, is fragrance related content and reviews. Some of it is educational. So um, what some of the terms mean in fragrance, best practices for fragrance shopping. Um, like I was a big lover of, of fragrances. Like I had a favorite one growing up and I always wore it. I didn't really have a big collection, but like I appreciated a nice cologne. Um, you know, dive into cologne content creation in the times of the pandemic. Um, you know, I thought, well, you know what, I know a little bit about fragrance. You know, I've, I've have some materials that I've smelled and even like perfume making materials. I've read books. So let me give it a shot. And so posted a few videos, reviews, and I kept doing it consistently and I built an audience over the you know year and a half maybe almost close to two years of doing TikTok. um funny enough though uh it was one of my like younger cousins she was like seven or eight at the time she said you should do TikTok. um 
No and, way. Yeah, and so uh, yeah, she didn't think I would ever like blow up on on TikTok and like have brand deals, but um, it's a funny conversation to look back at now because she thinks that I should owe uh, my fame to her. And uh, I, I thank people for encouraging me to get on the platform because it is a platform where we need to think about like the content creator economy and how that might affect like yeah. the the everyday business of the industries that we're in. And you have 300,000 followers, something like that right now? Yeah, 300,000 followers on TikTok. Wow. Wow. And this is this is fragrance reviews. Yeah, just just fragrance yeah. reviews. Um, posting about that pretty consistently. Uh, you know, I don't really get it too much into topics outside of it. I like to be niche specific just because it tends to be at the easier path to, to growth if, if you if you niche down on on certain topics. So if the listeners need a new cologne recommendation or a new perfume recommendation or a new uh, vocabulary for fragrance, they definitely need to check out your page. And I'm not even, I'm not joking. It is a little bit funny because there's, there's a lot of humor involved in your videos, but it's, yeah. it's, it's dead serious. We're, we're, we're being completely serious here. So yeah. uh, don't, don't hesitate to visit your page, right? Yeah, don't hesitate. Yeah, I, I love engaging and answering questions. And I try not to take myself too seriously. Like that's the, the super most important part. Like be authentic, try not to take yourself too seriously. Um, and, you know, put some transparency in the content that you post because like in the creator economy, there's also going to be like brand opportunities and you want to be sure that you represent those brands and the relationship that you have with brands in a transparent manner. So, um, yeah. staying up to date with those. Yeah. And that kind of, that kind of ties into, you know, as we start to wrap up here, your thoughts around, um, shifts in multifamily in general. Um, since the pandemic. And I think some of the themes that you're, you were about to get into there, you know, being authentic, um, kind of thinking about things and maybe a little bit more of a humorous or less serious way. Um, mm -hmm. Are those shifts that you, that you see continuing through 2023 and beyond? Um, what other uh, kind of trends or shifts do you see happening or, or coming down the pipeline as well? I'm curious. Yeah. I don't know how far it'll develop, but um, I mean, like if it went to the extreme to say that even at the property levels, we would see like to the same degree of content creation or or, or personas or uh, the ability to use TikToks, hooks, trends, not necessarily to get leases. I know that's always like, uh, like the, the number one priority but it's to explore what the property is like, the, the staff experience, the, the community is like, um, like everybody can do the apartment tour, you know, walk around, but introduce your team in ways that's a bit more unorthodox. So um, that, that's something I, I see a lot more and especially in the educational front to, to get people more information on how to prepare for, for their lease or their move in. Like, you're providing a value to them that they normally wouldn't get, but could still be applicable to any apartment complex that they shop at. Yeah. Well, let me, uh, let me come full circle here as we start to wrap up. I want, I have a couple of rapid fire questions I want to hit you with. And I know sure. at the very beginning, I sort of said, Hey, we're going to circle back to the video game topic. And so I'm, I'm curious, favorite video game as an adult now and why, what do you, what do you feel strongly about? Okay. So I occasionally do, live streaming and whenever i live stream games 
any games that involve guessing. So Wordle, and there was another one that was similar to Wordle, but it is so fun to do on TikTok lives and, and YouTube lives or on Twitch because you can have anywhere from like two to 3,000 people guessing with you on what the next word is. And it is just nice. fun to enjoy with like a community of people. That's um, fun. Yeah. Uh, other, other games, like if I just want to like enjoy strategy, civilization, but for me, like if, if I really want to enjoy a, um, like an old school fighting game, I'll probably play Tekken or Street Fighter. Cool. Yeah, really cool. Well, on the opposite end of the spectrum of entertainment, hit us with one book that you would recommend right now um, and why. One book right now would be Unreasonable Hospitality. Uh, I just wrapped it up this week, and it is just like the title says. Unreasonable Hospitality is like going above and beyond what the customer expects. Um, it's more specific for the industry of um, restaurant, but there are some correlations that you can make for even the multifamily industry. And if I could just like quote one small section from it, there's like, yeah. um, imagine you have a, a renter or someone who's gonna move in that's expecting a baby. Like one small measure of hospitality to some that might be unreasonable is giving them um, search, like those search covers or those outlet covers. Yeah. And just like putting a personal note because it's, you're expecting somebody that's very important in your life. You're expecting a, a baby. You're like, this is, you're going to be thinking of tons of things. The last thing you need to think of is uh, remembering to get these things here. You know, we're your property management company. We want to provide these for you. Mm, that's, that's so, uh, that hits home for me because we have, we've got a little one and, and you know this, but you know, trying to cover all the outlets. Uh, it's like the last thing you think about, but the second they start poking around, you're like, Oh no, I need to cover all these outlets. Yeah. So yeah. that would be a, that would be a great, uh, that would be a great gesture. Um, we will link to that book in the show notes as well. Um, John, thank you so much for your, for your time and your, your effort and your energy today and, and sharing a, what I feel like is a lot of new, new stuff. Like you, you definitely are are very low key on the cutting edge of a lot of things happening in the world, and many of which as they relate to multifamily. Um, there's only one more thing to do here, though, for you, and and that is to roll out the red carpet. Tell the listeners where they can uh, find you, what you're up to, and how to follow up with you online. Yeah, um, well, I'm still on my search to become the number one person. That's John Gonzalez on Google. It is a tough match, <laughs> but until that happens. You could find me on LinkedIn at John GZZ or on all my other socials. It's going to be John GNZZ. Awesome. We will link everything in the show notes. John, once again, thank you for joining me today. It's been a pleasure. Thanks.